Welcome to Current, a no-nonsense current event show with facts and opinions that are both educational and entertaining. Now, your host of Current, Valerie Hayes. Welcome to Current. Current is a show that was created for you to help you get the information you need to develop your own opinion. Because you know how it is. Often when you're watching the news, you're confused and overwhelmed by shows that tell you what happened, but not what why it happened. It's just impossible to develop your own opinion. Guests are arguing and talking each o- over each other. The sound bites are super short, so you never really get the whole story. Current is an opportunity for you to get information that goes beyond the headlines and the quick sound bites so that you can get facts and a little bit of opinion, not a lot, a little bit of opinion to help you develop your inform, your own informed opinion. And one of the things that people are talking about in the news this week is the Orlando shooting. Um, it was a massive, horrific shooting. And this past weekend in Orlando, we experienced the worst mass murder in U.S. history with the killer shooting 49 victims and killing them and injuring 53 others. Omar Mateen, a security guard from Fort Pierce, Florida, entered the Pact Club at about 2 a.m. Sunday morning with an assault rifle and a pistol and started shooting. It was very confusing. It was a lot of chaos. It was right before they were about to close down for the evening. The music was going. You know, it's a dark room. People are getting their last drink, last call, and the shooting started. People were confused. Some people, some victims at first thought it was part of the show, that it was a wrap-up show. And then they realized the horrific mass murder that was in um in underway. During the attack, Mateen called 911 to pledge allegiance to the ISIS terror group and men- also mentioned the Boston Marathon bombers, according to police officials. Later, the official online ISIS radio channel, Al Bayan, described, described the event as a raid which would, had been carried out by one of the caliphate's soldiers in America. The caliphate, as you recall, is a religious and political and governmental term that refers to a state or a group of people that are ruled by a caliph. And the caliph, as you recall, is the leader of that group of people, and he has both religious and political powers. Here in the United States, you know that we have a separation of, of church and state, so religious leaders are religious leaders, and government leaders are government leaders. But in a caliph, the Caliphate. The caliph is the religious and political leader and also gives direction to the military and the generals then implement that direction. So uh, according to this ISIS radio challenge channel, the raid was carried out by one of the caliphate soldiers in America. Now, we can talk about all day whether or not this was homegrown terrorism, where whether or not he was radicalized um, via Inspire, which is ISIS's lifestyle magazine. It's, I think it's odd that terrorists have a lifestyle magazine. Um, or whether or not he was watching a lot of online videos that were produced by ISIS. But the issue that I want to talk about today is the fact that many, many politicians are hitting the ground running almost immediately after this horrific tragedy 
And they're cranking out their tired and overused talking points on gun control, whether they're advocating for stricter gun control laws or arguing that more gun control is not going to have any impact on mass shootings or terrorisms. They're talking about gun control and lots of people have questions. What's going on? What, how does this impact gun control? So what I want to do today is talk you through the issues around mass shootings because we need to understand mass shootings before we can decide whether or not stricter gun control would actually improve that or have any positive impact in reducing the number of mass shootings. So let's define mass shooting. Don't you love that when people start with a definition? A mass shooting is an event in which four or more people are shot including the perpetrator. In this case, you've probably heard the fact that 50 people were killed in Orlando. And just remember that the 50 total that were killed includes 49 victims, and the 50th person is the shooter. So that's why you're hearing 49 and 50, so that you're not confused. 49 people were victims. The 50th person was the shooter. So since a mass shooting is four or more people, obviously this qualifies as a mass shooting. And since 1982, I think you'll be surprised to learned that there have been, since 1982, there have been 126 mass shootings in the United States alone. Most of us can remember some of the recent mass shootings that we've had, the San Bernardino mass shooting where the husband and wife killed uh, 14 people at a holiday party, the Colorado Mover Theater shooting where the gunman killed people who were attending uh, a screening of the Batman film, the Sandy Hook mass shooting where uh, the young man, I think he was 15 or 16, um, went into an elementary school and shot children there, as well as the abortion clinic shooting where uh, the man went into the clinic and shot several of the doctors and patients and, and several people there. So there have been 126 mass shootings since 1982. So there's enough events that we can really look at what are overall trends, What are the issues and how can we use that information to determine how we can best impact the shootings? So let's talk about the weapons that are used in these mass shootings because gun control is obviously a discussion, you know, primarily and almost solely about the weapons. So of the 145 weapons that were used in these mass shootings that have occurred since 1982, you might be interested to know that 75% of the weapons used in these mass shootings Over 75% of them were acquired legally. So they were acquired through a regular purchase that they made at a gun store. Um, They they passed whatever background check was appropriate for that location. Um, The Colorado movie theater shooter purchased many of his weapons off the Internet. And as you may be aware, uh, Internet purchases do not have to go through a background check. I'm going to touch a little bit on that later. But 75% of weapons used in mass shootings are purchased legally. So that does make you think, hmm, maybe we need to try to think about gun control since these purchasers are being acquired legally. Now let's go into that further. The preferred weapons of mass murderers include assault weapons, sometimes called assault-style weapons or semi-automatic weapons, and semi-automatic handguns. An assault-style weapon, it looks like a machine gun or a small machine gun, and it um, uh, fires rounds very, very quickly. Assault-style weapons are originally designed for the military to inflict as much damage 
um, as possible on as many people as possible in a very, very short period of time. A semi-automatic weapon is a hand, a uh, semi-automatic handgun is a weapon that is obviously not a rifle. It's not a machine gun, but it looks like a regular handgun, but it can fire rounds or bullets much faster than the standard handgun so that again, um, when used with a high-capacity magazine, the shooter can inflict as much damage or as many casualties as possible in a short period of time. For example, a perpetrator used a 40 caliber Glock to slaughter students in Red Lake, Minnesota. The Colorado movie theater shooter also used a Glock, as well as an AR-15 assault rifle in Newtown, Connecticut. That attacker used a semi-automatic assault rifle as he massacred 20 school children and six adults. So... The issue that we're seeing or the trend that we're seeing with these mass shootings and these mass murderers is that they have access to the assault-style weapons or the semi-automatic handguns. That seems to be um, part of the concern, which does lead us into the conversation that we're hearing now with politicians about uh, gun control. Right away, they jump on this. Oh, everyone's using assault-style weapons or semi-automatic handguns. We need to ban them. We need to limit access. Um, maybe we don't need to ban them, but the FBI or local law enforcement need to have a list of everyone who's purchasing an assault-style weapon or a semi-automatic handgun. But remember, access to weapons is really only one part of the overall recipe, so to speak, for a mass murder. Let's go on to some of the other factors so that we can really get a bright broad overview of the issues. So let's talk about the perpetrators. Now we've talked about the weapons used. Let's talk about the perpetrators themselves. Over half of the mass shootings of these 126 mass shootings since 1982, over half of them were occurred in a school or a workplace setting. So the majority of them are taking place in a school or workplace setting. The others, the remaining 50%, took place in public locations, including shopping malls, restaurants, religious um, facilities, or government buildings. 44 of the 126, so about a third, were white males. Only one was a woman. So I'm sorry to tell you, men, gentlemen, that there is a predominance that mass murderers are men. The average age of a mass murderer is 35, although the youngest um, on record was 11 years old, which was a shooting that occurred in Jonesboro, Arkansas in 1998. Um, in addition to understanding kind of the age and the the gender, the, the majority of them are males, a majority of them also appear to have some mental wellness issues. Now, notice I didn't say mental health. I said mental wellness because there are two types of psychological profiles that we tend to see in these mass murderers. Some of them have mental wellness issues. In other words, they don't have a diagnosable mental health issue. Um, they're not schizophrenic. They're not psychotic. They're not bipolar. Um, but they do have difficulties getting along in society. They seem to be, uh, they don't have a lot of friends. Uh, they seem to spend a lot of time by themselves or alone. Um, they are not uh, medicated or seeking mental health counseling. They're not in a mental health program. They just seem different or like they don't fit in. For example, the couple in San Bernardino, uh, the husband and wife who shot the 14 people at the holiday party, neither of them had mental health issues, 
But I think it could be argued that they had mental illness issues. They had extreme ideologies. They adhered to ISIS. They were living in a country that they didn't feel comfortable in. They didn't like the laws and um, the society norms and values and the way that the bulk of society in California lived their lives. They found it offensive, and they didn't fit in, and so they struck out violently. So I think it's important to understand the difference between mental health health and mental wellness. And let's go through a couple examples to define that further. For example, the Colorado movie theater shooter, you remember this guy. He was the guy with the bright red hair, you know, showed up for his first court appearance with the bright red hair. He had gone into the Batman movie and started shooting people. He apparently thought he was the Joker. He had a history of mental health issues and had actually been expelled from his graduate degree program that he had been attending because of his mental health issues. The psychologist treating him was aware that he had mental health issues, but because of mental health privacy laws, couldn't disclose that um, and uh, was not in a situation where that she felt that he was a danger to society, so she was not required to disclose it either. That is definitely a mental health issue. He had a diagnosable mental health problem and he was being treated and you know there was a little code for his mental health problem. The Sandy Hook shooter, the same thing. Although he was a loner, spent a lot of time in his basement playing video games and didn't really have a lot of friends, it went beyond just a mental wellness, I don't really fit into society, into a mental health issue. He had been diagnosed. He had received treatment. Both of his parents were concerned about his mental health issues, but they weren't taking aggressive or perhaps, one would argue, adequate uh, precautions or adequate action based on his mental health issues. I'll touch on that in just a moment. And then there was the abortion clinic shooter who was clearly not mentally balanced and had a history of bizarre behavior uh, that had been reported by coworkers, family, friends, ex-wives, um, people who had known him for a long time. He had engaged in bizarre behavior for his entire adult life and finally lashed out by going to an abortion clinic and shooting the people there and that were in the parking lot. So those are examples of people who have obvious patterns of mental health. It's a diagnosable issue. It's the way they process information. It's their thought process doesn't work appropriately. As opposed to mental wellness, for example, I mentioned the husband and wife who shot the people in San Bernardino. Those shooters did not appear to have mental health issues. They had both um, been interacting uh, in limited society within their friends and family. They had been able to interact successfully with those individuals. The woman was at home most of the time, so she was not out in society or working. The husband had been working for some time. He had successfully held a position in the community. He was working. He had a stable work history. He was interacting with people. They thought he was um, aggressive about his Islamic faith and overly conservative, but he was able to operate in society. That is someone who doesn't have a mental health issue, but we might say that they have a mental wellness issue because the society in which they're operating, the the norms and values and rules of the society are completely different from what he embraced. So that would be a mental 
wellness issue. Now let's go on to the factor of a violent ideology. Ideology is the philosophy or the rules by which you live your life. In the example of the Orlando shooter and the Boston Marathon bombers, you remember the Boston Marathon bombers, the two brothers who planted the bombs at the end of the Boston Marathon that they had made out of um, pressure cookers from directions on the internet. These people probably um, might have might be in that category that we call mental wellness, where they um, had been living successfully in the community for some time. The Orlando shooter was born and raised in the United States, and um, they were able to hold jobs. And in the case of the Boston Marathon brothers, they were going to school. The older brother had jobs, but they had. Uh, they had conflicts with the rules and values and norms of their society, and so they turned to the ISIS ideology and the radical Islamic fundamentalist ideology to kind of affirm the fact that they didn't feel like they fit in, they didn't agree with the way that society was living its rules, and instead of adapting or changing or perhaps moving to a country that, you know, embraced the, the philosophy that they wanted to live their life by, they embraced the violent ideology or violent perspective of ISIS that when you don't feel comfortable in a setting or in a community that you should shoot or kill people. And then there's the fact of lack of see something, say something, right? Particularly in the case of the Orlando shooter, there are former co-workers who are now stepping forward saying that he had violent rhetoric that he had been saying for a great deal of time. His first wife is saying that he had beat her and had anger management issues. There are several people in the community now that are seeing, saying that they, they met him under social circumstances or met him while he was potentially casing the Pulse nightclub in which the crime was committed that said that he was very unusual and didn't act well with people. And the problem is that no one really stepped forward. The, the two times that he was investigated, the first investigation was triggered because someone had stepped forward and expressed concerns. The second investigation was um, in begun because he knew someone who had gone to the Middle East and had been involved in a suicide bombing. I think it's possible, we'll never know for sure, that if more individuals had stepped forward to to say that, to demonstrate to the FBI or investigating authorities that he had a sustained pattern of violent remarks and anger management issues, that it's perhaps that he could have been on a watch list. He was removed because there wasn't enough substantial information. So I think the challenge here, when these politicians just focus on gun control as a solution for mass murder and gun violence, they're just providing a single point approach to what is really a complicated issue. Every single mass murder that has occurred since 1982 has included two of the three, two of the four and most likely three of the four, but all of them have had two of the four, and in most cases, three of the four four elements I mentioned. They had access to semi-automatic or assault-style weapons. They had either a mental health or a mental wellness issue. Um, it was a case of lack of see something, say something. People who are around them just aren't speaking up and pointing out that there is a problem and uh, that they may have become wed to a violent ideology. By just focusing on gun control and limiting access to gun control, we're not going to be able to deal with a complicated issue with multiple factors. I get that politicians think it's easy, voters understand it, 
um, gun control. Oh, we're just going to solve it with gun control. That doesn't require interagency coordination or control. But isn't that what we need the government to engage in? It's a sophisticated society, and we now have sophisticated problems because people have access to almost anything and we're trying to balance personal freedoms against public safety issues. So I think as voters, we need to hold our politicians and government leaders responsible to understand the complexity of problems. Just don't talk to me about gun control. Talk to me about potential solutions that are realistic, meaningful, and take into consideration the fact that there are multiple considering factors to all of the mass murders that have occurred since 1982. So as voters, we need to stop responding to simple emotionally charged rhetoric, and we need to make voting decisions based on leaders who actually enact change and get something done. Well, that's it for gun control and politicians. It's time for a short break, and then I'll be back to discuss recent headlines about transgender bathroom access and whether the safety and privacy concerns that we're hearing about the news are based on fact or fiction. So stay tuned, and I'll be right back here on Current Talk Radio. Are you entering your first pageant and feeling a little nervous about the pageant interview? Or are you an experienced contestant but feel that your pageant interview scores don't reflect your true abilities? Do you want to develop a winning pageant interview that reflects your personal style and puts you over the top? I'm Valerie Hayes, and I'm an award-winning pageant coach who has a proven track record of coaching contestants and developing the public speaking skills necessary to impress the judges. I've created a variety of options just for you, including DIY Coach Yourself at Home materials, teleseminars, workshops, and VIP private coaching to help you develop your winning pageant interview. You'll learn the techniques that professional speakers, spokesmodels, and even politicians and press secretaries use to come across as confident and informed every time. Plus, I'll teach you how to handle trick questions and to seed the interview so that you get questions that highlight you as the obvious choice for the title. So visit my website, ValerieHayes.com, and click on the VIP Coaching tab today, and we'll get started on working towards your crowning moment. Are you looking for couture jewelry to create your winning look? Internationally known pageant jewelry designer Stephanie Summers has been creating crowning looks for elite contestants across all the major pageant systems for over a decade. Whether you select a custom piece of jewelry handcrafted to match your wardrobe exactly, or you wear something special from Stephanie's new affordably priced trifles collection, you'll stand out as a contestant who's ready to wear the crown. Why spend all that money on a great gown and then wear run-of-the-mill jewelry? Visit www.stephaniesummers.com today and let her create the jewelry of your dreams. Did you know that your pageant paperwork is the secret to impressing the judges before you even walk into the interview room? It's true. Your pageant paperwork really is the foundation of your pageant interview. With my Rock Your Contestant Bio DIY coaching resource, you'll learn to avoid the most common paperwork mistakes and establish yourself as a leading choice for the title. Just visit my website today at www.valeriehayes.com and click on the Rock Your Bio tab. A great contestant bio is the first step towards your crowning moment. Are you looking for couture jewelry to create your winning look? Internationally known pageant jewelry designer Stephanie Summers has been creating crowning looks for elite contestants across all the major pageant systems for over a decade. Whether you select a custom piece of jewelry handcrafted to match your wardrobe exactly, 
or you wear something special from Stephanie's new affordably priced trifles collection, you'll stand out as a contestant who's ready to wear the crown. Why spend all that money on a great gown and then wear run-of-the-mill jewelry? Visit www.stephaniesummers.com today and let her create the jewelry of your dreams.